podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today for the Axon Bulletin I'm joined by Natasha Miko and Lawrence Connolly. Plenty to discuss. How was your weekend, Natasha? Um, football aside, if we're ignoring the football aspect of it, you know, quite nice. If, we're talk- if we have to talk about the football, is that why we're here today? Is that what we talk about on Axon? <laughs> every time I ask the question, it. every time I ask the question, it's other than the football, everything's fine. Um, Jim Moore continues to say that. Um, I've not had the opportunity to discuss with yourself uh, that yeah. disaster of a game. And, I, and it was that. I mean, I know a lot of people are saying, don't overreact um, if we had taken our chances, if, if, if. I just think it was one in a long line of disastrous uh, performances and results for Celtic. I mean, we're trophyless, first time in 11 years. What was your thoughts on that? Because, you know, so much can be taken from it and not very much of that is positive. I mean, exactly. It was beyond disappointing. But, you know, it was tinged with just a sense of inevitability. You know, the minute that first goal went in, I lost any belief that we were going to get anything from that game. And by the looks of it, so did the players on the pitch. You know, like you said, another trophy, the final trophy given up with a whimper Mm -hmm. um, and another horribly disappointing performance to end a horribly disappointing season. Um, Looking at the game itself, you just simply can't afford to miss the chances we did in a game of that magnitude. It's unforgivable. Far too many players were miles off it and one of the biggest disappointments for me was the fact that they didn't really seem to be up for it. And I've read a lot about Kennedy getting a bit of stick for that, not getting the team up for the game. But I blame the players. You know, this was their last chance to salvage something this season. Their last chance to go a small, small way to make it up to the fans. But too many of them are clearly looking towards the door and it showed it was a disjointed team of individuals who didn't want it and don't get it. And if they, Or if they did at any point, they certainly don't anymore. So the season is finally over. You know, officially that's it done. Nothing left to win. Rangers had the edge at the weekend. They've had the edge all season, and we've got a massive task over the course of the summer. You know this thing, Natasha, and obviously when we're looking at every single performance of Celtic this season, every nuance of the club, every talking point, we cover it. Um, you you realise that 
There are people who know a hell of a lot about football, who talk on this show or write blogs or appear elsewhere. Uh, and it's impressive sometimes their knowledge of the game. But you know, sometimes when you watch a game like uh, we did on Sunday there, I just think it's sometimes it's the basic things. It's the lack of heart and desire. Now, I know that football's much greater than that. I know we live in a world of um, stats and figures and diet and, you know, super science. I know all that. But, I, you know, it, you you can have all of that in the world. You could have 17 staff at your club focusing on all of that. But what it sometimes comes down to is whether or not, and you said that the players actually want it. And when I was watching that at the weekend, not enough of them did. Yeah, now, it I gets think. to the point, I look at that huddle before a Celtic game. And that's a, as an important part of the experience as the green and white hoops are now. Um, you know, Celtic uh, singing, the fans singing, you'll never walk alone on a European night. The huddle is a major part of what this club stands for. And I, I look, sometimes this season I've looked at that and I think they're going through the motions and that really, really saddens me. Um, Lawrence Conley, I'll come to you. I, I know that uh, you and I throughout the season have had our disagreements. Um, are you one of these guys who were looking at that game at the weekend and you still think, ah, you know what, that team aren't that great? Because I think that about Celtic. I don't focus on, you know, how good or bad Rangers are. I'm looking at Celtic and I'm thinking that team aren't that great. But as I was saying to Natasha there, as simple as they did not want it enough. They didn't want it as much as us three wanted it. So I've watched the, the game back a few times now and, and listened to Gordon Strachan. You know, he, he makes some valid points, you know. He create a lot of chances. You know, Rangers didn't have many. But then again, Rangers were playing with it in themselves as soon as they got to two. It was, don't lose a goal, 2-0. You're comfortable. You don't really need to do much at 2-0. Uh, but is it one enough? You know, the basics is putting the ball in the net. It's actually starts, it? If you don't take your chances, if you don't put the ball in the net, you're not going to win a football game. And th- th- there's desire. You know, I think I said at the weekend, Diego would never play again. It's one ball he played up, up, up the wing. Misplayed the pass, or the guy didn't read it. And Diego throws his hands up in disgust. Rather than getting back into position to, d- to defend... You're like, it's real basic stuff. You can't stop playing football. Now, what, what was the old uh, Anfield rap? Pass and move, it's a, a Liverpool groove. You know, Diego seems to like to pass and stand still and watch. <laughs> it's criminal football. You know, that is amateur stuff, it's schoolboy stuff. Mm-hmm. Make a nice pass or misplaced pass, stand and watch what happens. You're like, you're an absolute passenger when that happens. And it's no surprise that, you know, the goals come down his side. It's... It really isn't. I mean, the fullbacks. I'll get to them uh, because I, th- I think both of the, the fullbacks were extremely poor, really, really bad. I mean, we spoke about uh, you know this. I spoke about this need for consistency moving into next season because there's been going to be so much upheaval, Natasha. And I don't know if you tuned into the the pre-match, but I was the one that said that um, in order to maintain that consistency, perhaps we should give the two fullbacks an extended loan deal. After 45 minutes on Sunday. I take that back I changed my mind you're allowed to change your mind I changed my mind I wouldn't allow either of the two of them by the way I wouldn't allow them to to play again until the end of the season particularly Laxalt but I don't think Kenny has shown us enough I mean someone in the comments and I didn't have a time uh, to bring it up but someone in the comments said that he is basically Everton's Anthony Ralston and I think that's true I, I honestly think, you know, for anyone to think about a transfer fee upwards of £5 million because of who you're buying them from would be ludicrous. Uh, but even more ludicrous is the fact that when he goes back to Everton, we only have one, and that is Anthony Ralston. And the the other point that was brought up, which is valid, is the fact that we sold our left back for £25 million quid. And we sold our right back for, I think, 11 and a half of which we got X amount. And of those two transfer fees, we've not been able to bring in a permanent fullback who has, you know, stapled their name to the jersey. Taylor came on, I thought he played pretty well. I've got to say, I thought he played pretty well. Absolutely not captain material in my in my eyes, as someone has suggested. But I thought he played OK. But, you know, I, I see Taylor as a second choice left back. You know, and he's... He, you know, will actually be our left back once Laxalt goes. Our right back at the moment is Ralston. And this really ties into the question when should Dominic Mackay address the Celtic fans? We spoke last week about um, his first week in charge and the priorities that he's going to have to face, of which there are many. 
But you're looking at this, the, the situation that he's inheriting, Natasha. We have no youth system to speak of. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to actually qualify what I'm saying there. We have no youth system to speak of that benefits Celtic at this moment in time. We're producing players that are benefiting teams all over Europe, but they're not benefiting Celtic. Um, we have no recruitment to speak of. I mean, we're putting... Patrick Clamalla um, over to the States. He's getting sold. Somehow we're managing to recoup our fee for him. But that is indicative of the Celtic transfer policy over the last few years. We have no recruitment policy, uh, successful recruitment policy to speak of. He needs to target that. No leadership from top to bottom. There's been absolutely no leadership. I mean, I talk about the huddle. I think that when you look at that huddle, Natasha, we need to keep that as something at the club that that makes Celtic stand out as being completely different. And I'm not going to use uh, the terminology that is used by the club, but we are not just uh, about the football. And that coming together at the beginning of a game, um, you know, that should be a massive part of what Celtic represents, that, that unity. Uh, and I don't think that's there at the moment. I don't think there is any leadership to the point where we're struggling to try and establish who's going to take the captain's armband. And that's just the playing side of it. But yeah. the, the last point I'd make is no engagement. Now, I know Dominic Mackay is just in the door uh, two days. The question is, when should he address the Celtic fans? Soon. I think he needs to do it soon because there is a lot of silence at the moment. Um, but equally... If he's nothing to say, is he better than saying nothing? The fans have been critical of every engagement the club has put out. When Peter Lawwell sat and did that interview, we weren't impressed. He said very little. It was a very, very weak apology, severely caveated. The fans didn't like that. And then we have the interview from Desmond, which essentially told us absolutely nothing. So they need to be really careful with the next communication. And if it is another interview that tells us absolutely nothing, are they as well actually just not doing it? Just holding until they do have something to tell us and telling us then and actually making it meaningful rather than just sound bites that's only going to disengage us further. So they need to strike the right balance here. Because you take, on one hand, the engagement that other clubs have done, like Aberdeen, even when mm. they were on the managerial hunt, even when they had no news at all, their chairman sat down and said, this is the process we're working through, this is our targets, this is a rough idea of how long it might take, it might take longer. But that's a holding response. I think we're way past the holding response, you know. How we're still in a holding phase, I wouldn't know. If we're not ready to make an appointment now, that's concerning. So we're either really close to announcing something meaningful and he holds off until then, or he's going to use it as a delay tactic to buy us more time until the end of the season. Um, so the timing of the response will be interesting because it'll speak volumes to the actual negotiation that's going on behind the scenes. Um, but it's a got, he's got a hard task on his hands, does Dominic Mackay. Um, we've got a lot to achieve in a very short period of time and I hope he's ready for for the hard work having started yesterday. Um, you know, one on one hand, you know, it's exciting, it's refreshing, someone with new ideas coming in who apparently values fan engagement with a fresh perspective. So maybe he needs to be in the door to start the wheels of the overhaul moving. So maybe we are going to start seeing some movement now, getting down to business. You know, mm -hmm. like I've said, the season is officially over, nothing left to play for. The full focus is on next season. Dominic Mackay's in the building. Let's see some action. Now, that action you speak of, I think what the fans are really uh, awaiting the news of is the obvious, the manager. What's happening with the manager? And everything else, obviously, there is a process. We know that. We know the director of football, the head of recruitment, the management team. There is a process, and it's a long, um, drawn-out process at times. But Celtic don't have that time. We really don't. I mean, we've got JP on a Thursday counting down the days to our first um, Champions League, whatever that's going to look like, the first Champions League qualifier. Mm -hmm. And we'll come back to the Super League at some point during this show, I'm pretty sure. Um, Lawrence Connolly, when you're looking at that, and, and Natasha's right what she says, there's not been enough engagement. And when we have had engagement, it's not been that meaningful. What do you think the Cham Offensive will be from Dominic Mackay? I think he's got to come out with um, some frankness and some honesty. I think that's probably big things that there's been missing. It's probably why we've been, we don't feel there's any engagement. We don't feel the club's 
being honest and frank with us. Uh, he's, he's got to hit that in the head, hasn't he? He's got to set out the stall look. So Natasha said, look, Aberdeen's engagement, look, this is, this is what's happened, this is a plan. Maybe Celtic get caught in the hole with the, the, the Super League and uh, he's had a, a busy few days mm. or a different few days from he was expecting for his, his first couple. But you'd expect some kind of announcement this week, even if it is just a holding announcement. You know, he's the new guy in the job. He knows a lot's expected of him. Is he just going to start and, what, wait until there's a new manager going, now we've got a new manager? We've just been beat by uh, in the Glasgow derby. Uh, so you'd expect the club to come out with with some, some kind of direction and plan. Cap, Scott Brown, you know, quadruple treble winning captains moving on. Mm-hmm. It's, there needs to be some kind of leadership shown, doesn't there? Uh, which is lacking on and off the field at the moment. Uh, it's up to him to grasp it. On, on right back, we've also got Lee O'Connor though, haven't we? Sorry, I was just thinking when you're saying Tony Ralston's because Tony will be away at the end of the season. His deal's up, but we'll get Lee back. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, good shout, good shout, actually. Yeah, he's at Tranmere, isn't he? Yeah, he's starting to get a game for them now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know when him and Frimpong come up, we knew one of them was going to make it. We didn't mm. know which one. So, perhaps uh, I think a lot of Man United fans were disappointed to lose him. Maybe the games are under Tranmere to the end of the season will, will benefit him a bit and at least give us an option. Because I don't. Tony Ralston is away at the end of the season, isn't he? I need to check when his um, contract is up. I do remember him, him getting an, extend, an extension after his performances in Europe. But um, yeah, good point, Leo Connell. He's all, he, he, Leo Connell rather is already an Irish internationalist, and it, um, he has been playing for Tranmere. But again, I think if you really want to not only prize back the the pride, but the, the league championship back, again, you know, I would be looking at him as a backup. Uh, yep. You know, Lawrence going into next season because I think that the magnitude of this job. We did a podcast a couple of weeks back, three, four weeks ago, maybe Natasha. And we we're looking at the magnitude of the the player overhaul. Mm-hmm. That's just one aspect. That's just one aspect of what Dominic Mackay is is looking to to uh, challenge and overcome. And one of the things that that was said there is the timing of this. Yeah, he's walked right into the European Super League announcement. Um, and I was reading with interest this morning how uh, Peter Lowell has made it known that he was against the idea. Him and Celtic were against the idea. That was in a meeting on Sunday night, an emergency meeting. Um, and the president of UEFA, Alexander uh, Kefferin, I hope I haven't pronounced that properly, says that people need to know everyone has a chance. And he name-dropped Celtic in relation to that. He's talking about clubs that can add some flavour and colour to the tournament. It's not just something that isn't based on merit. And he's spoken about the fact that clubs like Celtic bring something to the table uh, of the the Champions League. Now, this has been the hot topic all week, obviously, Natasha. There was a a podcast last night from the Smart Money. Um, David Claxton and Colin Watts spoke for an hour about uh, the impact of of this particular change uh, to modern football, and this is going to be the new modern. Where does it leave a club like Celtic? You know, we've all said you know, what we believe about this prospect. And I think it is a sad prospect for football, which must be stopped at all costs. Um, I feel sorry for the fans of these clubs and I'm glad it's not Celtic. I'm glad Lawa was against it. You know, you know, we're not too dissimilar from some of these big clubs in England in terms of our roots. You know, they're clubs who were founded a long time ago for the working class community. You know, mm-hmm. that's their roots. And the fans have watched as their teams have been bought up by billionaire owners over the last 10 years or so. But these clubs in England need to recognise, you know, it suited them at the time. They were happy as they were bought up by rich billionaire owners and they achieved great success and got some of the world's best players playing for, for their clubs. But now, now it's taken it that step further and we're, we're, you know, seeing capitalism in all its glory. The rich owners aren't content just being rich anymore. They want to be richer and they want to create a closed shop where they get richer. And it's at the expense of these fans that they're referring to as legacy fans. Mm. Um, and the sad thing is, you know, it's sad because they don't care. The season ticket money from these fans is a fraction of the money that they'll be making from the Super League. And the fans are being used as noise for their key audience which is on the TV and on the internet and it's sad, it's greedy and it's a complete disrespect to these fans but the worst part is that I don't think the outrage that we're seeing from you know, the Liverpool fans the Arsenal fans, the Man United fans it won't make a difference because the simple fact is is that 
they've already done it. They don't care about these fans. They're treating them as an irrelevance. And for clubs like Celtic, um, it does leave you further behind. Um, but there's some serious issues in football that affect Celtic, and there is reform necessary. This just isn't it. You know, and the president coming out today and saying that the competition needs teams like Celtic and Rangers and Atlanta, that's all very well and good, but they've not valued us before. You know, as the champions of Scotland, Celtic or Rangers have to play multiple qualifiers in far-flung destinations. Our revenue income is created by ourselves. You know, our TV deals are relatively worthless. We're relying on our own season ticket money, our own fans. And, you know, then you look at England and the team who who lose the Premier League get £100 million. Mm. So they can go on about, you know, it's nice to see clubs having the opportunity. It's nice to see all clubs having the chance to achieve but we're not being given the same opportunity. Clubs like Celtic, clubs like Rangers, clubs like Atlanta are disadvantaged all the time. They're putting these massive hurdles in place in front of us with all these qualifiers. So it's a bit rich for them to come out today and say that the competition needs us mm. when they've devalued us for the past however many years. Um, have, so there is reform, but this, this Super League is not it. So we're looking at the moment then of 12 Super Clubs as they've called themselves, uh, super clubs, who will make up 15 founding members of a league and then there will be an opportunity for five other clubs to somehow be promoted through merit, I guess, uh, because the 15 teams that are in there are in there and that's nothing to do with merit. That's that's all to do with value and, and a spreadsheet. Now, Lawrence, we've spoken on this podcast about um, not a breakaway league as such, but we've spoken about ways in which Celtic have definitely looked at leaving Scottish football in the past. It's not as though we've just spoke about it um, as, a, as an idea that's been uh, bandied about. This is something that the club did pursue right up until, quite seriously, 1998. Uh, quite, you know, recently, Demi said that uh, we were no longer interested in pursuing a transatlantic league. Um, I actually quite liked the idea of that. That was still being spoken about 2000 by Alan McDonald, whereby there was, I think, eight or nine different nations with one super league, but it was all to do with relegation, promotion. It wasn't as though they were handpicking teams based on uh, their value. So, Lawrence, when you take that into account and the fact that there's been a lot of discussion in the past uh, around Celtic leaving the Scottish League if these teams are expelled which is one of the suggestions from their domestic um, competitions where does that leave the domestic leagues will they just continue as is and the pyramid system remains as is or will associations look at what's been happening in Belgium and the Netherlands will associations look to have some kind of cross-border merger I mean is there a secondary impact to this if it goes ahead no, I think there's definitely a secondary impact. Listen, if it doesn't go ahead, Barcelona and Real Madrid are in danger of going bust. But UV's in fourth place, might not qualify for the Champions League. Liverpool won the league one in 31 years. The Roman United won the league nine years ago or so ago. These clubs all carry huge debts that are having problems servicing. I yeah. think they need it to go ahead for them to exist. And while well, this is going on, UEFA has put out the latest... Champions League revamp, which to be honest, is only marginally better than this Super League. You, you know, it's so you first go, oh look at them, that's terrible. At the same same time, sliding in a revamp Champions League with teams that are guaranteed to be there, not in merit, but in past European exploits. Which you know, who decides that? It's. It, it, I, I don't think UEFA is much better at all, and, and the proposal is marginally better. There's a definite chance to reorganise cross border. What that's going to look like, you know, I think Celtic talked about it in the early 1900s as far back, and it was only travel time. It stopped, stopped it going ahead then. Uh, you know, then I think it was in 1914 with the Press Cup. They used to do the, the European tours, mm. but well, Holland and Belgium are, are, are merging. Is that a a step too late for them? They seem now at state with, with everything. I think will that go ahead if there's bigger mergers to be had? And I, and I think there probably is bigger measures to be had. It's how you would then get a pyramid structure in. Mm. You know, if, for example, the, the team in Scotland finishes bottom, who comes up? Would it be a team in England, or would there be playoffs for it? You know, between the national champions. But I think it's a chance to look at everything in, in both the Super League and the new Champions League proposals. Are, are only uh, they favour clubs that see themselves at 
is big clubs that coincidentally have huge debts that need serviced. No, you're right. Uh, you know, and I've got a thirst for money. It's just a, a huge Ponzi scheme at times. You know, look at the Glazers. You know, leverage debt buyouts. I'm sure we heard that in Scotland, causing clubs to go bust. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. So when you look at that, Natasha, and all the talk about Celtic looking for ways to perhaps play on a bigger stage because we have felt in the past and um, you know nothing changes because we haven't won the league this season but we've felt in the past that the Scottish game isn't pro- providing us with enough in terms of income streams so they've been looking mm-hmm. for years and years mm-hmm. um, is it hypocritical for us then to, to look at the breakaway because I mean what if that announcement was made now this is fantasy island here but what what if Celtic were part of it what, how would you be feeling right now would you go if it went ahead and watch these games as a Celtic supporter even though you'll be classed as a legacy fan would you go would you buy into that uh, no, I would be furious. It would be so far removed from everything the club stands for for us to take part in this Super League used to make richer people richer than they already are. That's not the club that I support and it's nothing to do with the values of Celtic. To be honest, I was worried when the announcement started being leaked that Celtic weren't going to be that far away from the discussions here. And I don't think it's out with the realm of possibility to think that somewhere further down the line they may be or might be involved in those discussions. You know, when you're talking about teams like Porto being asked and saying no and turning it down quite rightly. You know, Celtic aren't a million miles, Celtic and Rangers, to be honest, aren't a million miles away from these discussions. Um, We can't be that much further down the tree. What the criteria is might change that. You know, they're calling it a Super League, they're calling it elite clubs. Mm. You know, to me, that's nonsense. We're not talking about elite clubs, we're talking about rich clubs. We're talking about clubs with money. Look at the teams that we are including in it. You know, look at their positions in the Premier League at the moment. Look at Spurs. You know, Leicester have won more league titles than they have. We're not talking about the best teams in in England or even the best teams in Europe. We're talking about the richest teams who have owners that want to exploit their own fan base for for more money. Um, I'm glad that Celtic aren't being talked about in those spheres at the moment. But I am concerned that this is the way that football is going. I'm concerned that there are going to be these breakaways. I'm concerned that there are going to be these reshuffles. And I'm concerned that Celtic would lose their identity as part of that. And not just Celtic, all clubs like Celtic and all clubs who are involved in this. And I just worry that football is going to become removed from what it was and from what it was created for these clubs um, and we're just going to get a watered down franchise version of football that more resembles you know, the Football League in America than, than what we're used to here and I, I hope we put a stop to this because once it starts, where does it go? You know, it, it just uh, brings to mind myself it's like channel hopping Natasha, it's like, you know, back in the day, you know, you couldn't channel hop because there wasn't enough channels. But now we're getting to a situation where I feel that obviously there hasn't been a broadcast deal announced as being part of this yet. But they're looking to try and tap in to supposed millions of fans who support, supposedly, support these clubs. Uh, around the world so instead of having your 40 to 70,000 people in a stadium where you're trying to increase the average revenue you can from each of the bums on the seats they're looking at this massive worldwide fan base who can channel hop and PPV and pay into Mm -hmm. it what if that all falls on its backside though because I mean let's be honest football you know, if, if you're going to talk about entertainment, if you're going to talk about content, because it, it's almost as if all they're doing here is turning football into content. Now, the irony of that is I'm talking about it whilst creating content uh, online. But what's actually happened is that market is so saturated. I mean, mm. let's look at the way that we, we watch any form of entertainment these days. I've used television as an example, a film, a series, a box set, how we used mm-hmm. to watch it compared to how we can watch it now. And there's so much at your disposal that you end up channel hopping. And I think mm-hmm. that they are putting all their eggs into this basket that people in um, Asia and people in America actually want to tune in to every one of these games because they are rabid Real Madrid or Liverpool fans. I think they're mm-hmm. casual observers. I don't think they're football yeah. fans at all. 
Yeah, they're basing this hundreds of or millions, billions of fans worldwide based on, you know, social media followers. Mm. And that's not football fans, you know, and that's what's for some reason is blinding them to the fact that these 40 to 50, 60,000 season ticket holders, they are the core of the club. They are the important part. And they're just totally disregarding them as irrelevant because what's 40,000 season ticket holders when they think they've got 100 million followers worldwide? But it's different and they're missing that. And if I don't know if you sign, they end up signing this league up to some channel like Disney Plus or Amazon Prime. You're absolutely losing the game. You know, the magic of football is gone. You know, where you have teams like West Ham that can make the top four and get Champions League football. The cup upsets, you know, Leicester winning the league. That's, you know, that's what we love to watch and that's what we love to see. And this move takes away the chance of that even happening. And you know what? Like, it'll be boring. You know, a Liverpool Real Madrid game, for example, is great because it happens every few years. People tune into the Champions League. They want to see these rare occasions where the big clubs come together and play each other with the best players in the world. If we're getting that every few weeks, you know, it loses the magic. These people you refer to as channel hoppers, they'll flick to something else. They'll maybe Mm -hmm. flick back. They're not engaged. They're not passionate about it. It doesn't matter to them. But that's because it doesn't matter to the owners, the football, the passion, the magic. It doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is the money. So they're, they're not seeing this. You know, if we're getting, like I said, Liverpool via Madrid every few weeks, that's boring to me. You know, <laughs> give us hips and hearts any day. Proper, passionate football, which is not going to be the same quality, but at least it's not going to be sold out. They just don't get it. They don't get what it is that, that makes up the DNA of a football fan. And they're kind of basing this, as you say, on a lot of the aspects online that a lot of that information um, can be really fake. You know, you're talking about millions of followers. Well, how many of those millions of followers are actually going to click your, your post because the percentage is tiny? You know, you can take a cross-sex, you could take my own account, and if I put something out, you might get five people actually clicking the, the link from 27,000. So if that was 27 million, is that enough people? Of course it isn't, if you're trying to sell a product. And I just think that, um, you know, the way that this has gone this week, and obviously Sky Sports being at the forefront of breaking the news, and then people saying, well, that's rich, because they were at the forefront of the breakaway Premier League in England back in the early 90s. Uh, And I totally get that. But I I do think back, uh, Lawrence, right back to when televised football certainly wasn't the default you know, you didn't always get it. It was very rare. Uh, and I mean, it, it started coming into play, obviously, big time in the 1990s. Every so often, I remember back to the 80s, you would get that um, treat of a, of a live game out with the cup finals and that, and the World Cup finals, etc. as well. And I do remember one game during the centenary season where Celtic beat Rangers 2-1 at Ibrox, next day in Walker. Walker scored the winner. That was live on the telly. And that was a big thing because it was live on TV that day. So that's just the 80s. Now, going back to the 1970s, when I was looking at the archive Celtic views, um, Celtic, the, the Celtic board were talking about beware of the, 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 the TV interference with football. That was the 1970s. And that was very interesting and it stood out to me when I was looking through it because what they basically um, said was, this is what's going to happen. What we are now seeing unfold. All the years ago, they were actually talking about it. At the time, they were probably saying that because they didn't want the attendances to drop. You know, you look at the post-war attendances compared to the 1970s attendances and there's been this slow decline uh, over the board, I mean, rather than at Celtic. But, I mean, when, when you're looking at the attendances, they've found a way, Lawrence. They've found a way, a business model, where they don't care if you go to the games. And that saddens me because that means that we're completely... We're talking about engagement. When will Dominic Mackay address the Celtic fans? That's completely disengaging the game from the fans. Yeah, totally. Listen, uh, the, the Celtic board and attendances uh, back in the 70s and 80s are... 26,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bit strange, but listen, Jock Steen said that you know, football without fans is nothing. Um, if they, they st- play the empty stadiums, I don't know how players have found it, you know, with piped-in crowd noise. It's not good to watch. It's definitely not the same without fans there, without the passion. You know, Roy Keane used to call them the prod signage brigade. He was out and saying, look, they're taking something away from football. Mm. There is no pa- there is no passion, there's no heart in it. If the players I don't 
I don't know how tied they'd be to the club, what their contracts would say if they did lose clubs. A few have followed through and kicked the clubs out and said, that's it, you're not playing any of our competitions. How would the players feel? You know, would they be free to walk? Do they care, would you want to sign? Just to interrupt slightly there, Lauren, see, see players, do they care as much now about international football, for example? Because I've heard that being mentioned, you know, you might be banned from playing for your country. Do they actually care as much as they That used to be the premier uh, achievement for a footballer, didn't it? Playing in the World Cup finals. I don't think it is now. Some will, some won't. Some won't. I think that's what it comes down to. Some will care, some won't. Some will just go, how much money are you going to pay me? Mm-hmm. Which is essentially, you know, what happened when, when Sky came to Scotland was it how much money are you going to pay us and yeah we'll sign up for that you know and as you say the Celtic Bowl touched on it was the death we talked about SPL TV nothing happened there at least they're giving the clubs some form of control that wasn't TV companies or the advertisers but yeah I, I think some players will care some won't but It'll be interesting, obviously, someone like Jurgen Klopp, the manager of Liverpool's, uh, certainly came out mm-hmm. strong on it. Jose's left Spurs. Was this connected? So some, people's, some people care. Uh, will there be enough that care that will damage these clubs? What would Liverpool do if Klopp walked away? They'd get another manager. You know, but, but who? Yeah. It's the interesting thing is if players start to say, well, I'm not playing, and that's not what I've signed up for. You know, but you but then no, because money talks. It's like a lot of these mm-hmm. pundits coming out. A lot of these pundits coming out in the last week and bemoaning the changes. Let's look at this in five years, and if you're a pundit on that channel, because I'm pretty sure they will be, because money talks, um, and it's all right for them coming out. Uh, and saying it from that position where, where they're a pundit where they're already made their millions of pounds and they're bemoaning these changes but as I say w- when that becomes the new normal they will be sitting there commentating on it 100% that's what they'll be doing now Paul McLean comes in um, when he has something to tell that's in reference to the incoming they now arrived at Dominic Mackay well I don't know. I think my question is, when will he engage with the Celtic fans? And um, I get that there is so much work happening in the background, but we need to have some form of vision, don't we? A vision of where we're going to go. Um, We're not looking for, well, a lot of us are looking for an announcement, but if we don't have one to make, speak to the fans, speak to the Celtic fans, talk about the disappointment of this season and how you see us going forward. Now, talking about disappointment, Um, after the weekend's game, Natasha. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I was looking at David Turnbull's comments. Now, he has obviously formed part of a press conference that we have been in. And he is a man of few words, I've got to say. But he was asked about the mood in the the dressing room after the game. Um, And some of the things that concern me a wee bit when I hear them from footballers that he said, uh, I'm not sure what needs to change. That's something that David Turnbull said. Uh, And we'll see what happens. Uh, it's totally non-committal now I'm not blaming Turnbull for that because as I say I think he is a man of few words and when you can play like he plays fair play to you, you don't have to say much you let your feet do the talking but for me when I see players talking like that Natasha, I think we are devoid of a vision we need someone in management who is able to implement a philosophy uh, and also a culture at that club because I would expect our players um, to have some kind of response. I would expect them to know what has to change and w- where we're going wrong. Um, I just feel that our team is completely rudderless at the moment and these comments kind of add into that. 
Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying there, Paul. And, you know, it stems from what we're seeing on the side of the pitch. You know, Kennedy, Strachan, McManus, they don't seem like they know what to do either. I don't know what their vision is. They got it wrong on Sunday. They've got it wrong all season. If they've no vision and they've no plan and they've no structure and they've no tactics at the side of the pitch... How on earth are the players on the pitch going to have that? You know, you look at the Rangers team on Sunday. They were structured. Every single one of them knew what their job was. You know, are they a squad of the best players in the world? No, they're all good players. They're all fine. They're all good players. But the key thing for them is every single one of them knows what job they're meant to be doing and they do it. I look at that Celtic team too often and think, what are we doing here? You know, what's the shape? What's the purpose? What's the direction? Who is playing where? Who's picking up who? You look at the goal we lost when Ayer wasn't sure if he was meant to be going to the guy. He was looking at Laxalt. Laxalt was looking at Ayer. Where is the structure there? Um, and again, that stems back to the fact that there is no direction and there is no vision at the moment. One of the most concerning things for me uh, from Turnbull's interview, of course, what you've said as well, is the fact that he came out and said that the dressing room was quiet after the game. He said that mm. nobody knew what to say. It was silent and they let Kennedy do the talking. Kendall. No, Kendall do the talking. <laughs> that great nickname of Kendall. I think if we start using that, we're getting over friendly. So I don't yeah. think we're that friendly with John Kennedy at the moment. Um, so I think I'll stick to Kennedy for now. I might I might one day get, get to the Kendall levels of, of nickname, but I think for now I'll just stick to calling him Kennedy. Um, but for me, it was concerning that Nobody was saying anything. You know, why? Why wasn't, where are the leaders? And that again comes back to this problem of there are no leaders. Why was, you know, Brown not talking? Why was McGregor not talking? If Ayer's meant to be this great leader, why was he not talking? Mm. Our season just finished with a whimper and what they were all silent. You know, and I get it. I get it must be difficult. You know, I'm not a footballer. That's their job. But the fact that it was silent and they just let Kennedy do the talking and then Kennedy comes out and says we've got to take it on the chin. I don't think we have to take that sort of result on the chin. I don't think it's acceptable and just sort of a shrug of the shoulders in one of these things. Yeah. You know, we've played them four times this season. We've scored one goal. We've scored more goals for them than we've scored against them. And Kennedy's coming out and saying, I'll take it on the chin. Come on. That, that's a good point. We've scored more goals for them than against them. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think, goes back as well to what I was saying about the huddle. I mean, how contrived is that now when you're doing that because you're in front of the fans when we're in the ground or in front of the TV cameras, but when you're actually in the dressing room, when you need a dressing down from your leaders, it's silent. It's not good enough. All that shouting and screaming in the huddle, that happens after the game when you haven't performed and when your season has evaporated in front of your very eyes and we're left without a trophy for the first time in 11 years. I, I want that to happen when I'm not looking. I didn't want it to be contrived during a huddle. Yeah, I, I think something goes back to what Tony Haggett was saying about commitment. There's players in that dressing room that aren't committed and the other players know it. So what are you going to say to somebody that's not committed and doesn't care? Really? You know, Eddie's checked out. What's anyone really going to say that's going to make a difference to Eddie? So obviously he's checked out, he wants away. There's other players like that there as well. You know, and I think there'll be players in the dressing room that know that these players have been letting them down in, you know, all season. You know, they've been letting down their teammates and they've been letting down their manager, they've been letting down the fans. But it doesn't seem to make any difference to them. They're, they're happy to continue putting them in the minimum, minimum amount of effort. In the football park, hoping for the next big move, I think, and we'll run out here at the end of the season anyway. Doesn't matter. I remember the the point being made by Neil Lennon, uh, where he said that they're playing for professional pride. And uh, that should come into the uh, the mindset of every single professional footballer, whereby they're going out for professional pride. And, you know, it's really sad uh, to that realisation is for a Celtic fan, it's really sad that someone who has the honour of pulling on that jersey isn't that interested that really you know that really rankles with myself and I'm sure many many others uh, the Ogden Edward example that you used Lawrence let me just ask you Natasha about that chance where he's, he's tried to just dink it in with his heel is that just his style or is that really indicative of his absolute lack of interest in Celtic this season it's the absolute latter there, Paul. It's indicative of lack of interest. Um, and I don't like to single certain players out, but absolutely going to do it here. 
Edward's performance is symptomatic of what has been wrong with this squad all season. Um, and for me, I don't think it's outrageous to say that he shouldn't play for us again. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely I agree with no that. need. There's no need for it. Um, he is very much out the door. His body may still be here. His mind is so far out the door. Um, the league is over. There's nothing left to play for. We're out all cup competitions. There is no need to play Edward again. Let's see Griffiths. Let's see Ayeti. Let's assess what we have. Um, because for weeks now, in fact, for the majority of the season, Edward has looked uninterested. And his lackadaisical and lazy attempt at a flick when he was in front of goal, instead of just burying it, summed up to me where his attitude and mindset is. Um, and it summed up the attitude and mindset of the whole squad. And for me, that's it from him. Um, I wouldn't mind if we never see him play again, which is a shame to say. And I think it's just symptomatic of the fact that we've stretched ourselves one year too far. Mm. Um, squads are cyclical, players are cyclical, and they reach the end of their cycles. Edwards was last year. And because the problem 10 in a row created was that it stretched the cycles to try and get one more year out of players who didn't want to be there. But it was an unnatural stretch. It didn't work. Um, we had then ended up with too many players like Edward who wanted away and it disrupted the whole thing. Um, and the worst part of extending all these cycles, not just of the players, of the management, of the CEO, is that at the end of this additional year, everything's fallen off a cliff and we've got this massive rebuild ahead. Um, on paper, last summer, keeping Edward looked like an absolute brilliant piece of business. But in hindsight, a really bad move because he's one uninterested player who's not committed. Uh, now, what you've said there, ordinarily, um, you know, I, didn't, I don't want to see that player playing for Celtic again. That's not something I normally would say, but I agree no. with you on Edward 100%. Now, there's a couple of others, actually, for various reasons that I wouldn't play from now to the end of the season. One of them is Laxalt. That was one of the worst performances I've seen from a Celtic fullback and my Celtic support in life. Uh, and he was, you know, I would have hooked him before half time. I wouldn't have waited till half time. He, he was, he would have been hooked off, yeah. and, and he wouldn't play again for Celtic for me between yeah. now and the end of the season. And the other player, sorry, Lawrence, the other player is Brown. I don't see the point in playing Brown now. You know, I'm not saying he's checked out, but his future isn't at Celtic. With nothing to play for, play sorrow. I wouldn't play Brown again between now and the end of yeah. the season. What's your thoughts, Lawrence? Listen, we, we talked about it in the chat during the game. You know what? 20 minutes in, we're calling for Diego to come off in there. For, for whatever reason, the management team of three professionals can't see that to half time. We called for Griffiths to be on. A lot of, you know, 20 minutes before he came on, again, the management team couldn't see it. Was it Eddie trying at the heel flick? Maybe that is his style, but I tell you what, what what's more disgusting is. He wasn't chasing things down. He wasn't busting a butt to get the ball. Same with Diego. Throwing his hands up because a guy didn't make a move, the pass didn't come off. That bugged you. That really bugged you, Lawrence, didn't it? It is so basic. I know. The very very minimum thing you can put in is effort. See the one thing that... You stop trying. I know. That's him. I'm just not going to try because that pass didn't come off. But see that... It's inexcusable, mate. No, you're right. And, and the one thing I pointed out during the game was that moment where Rangers had a throw in at the halfway line. And not a Celtic player was anywhere near um, the person the ball was thrown to. And people might think, oh, shut up, that's just basic. It's not, because Rangers then had possession for five minutes. They did not lose possession for five minutes. Nobody was putting situations like that under any kind of pressure, Lawrence. You ever think about changing a throw-in to a kick-in because it so disadvantages the team with a throw-in because all you've got to do is mark up and put some pressure on. The very thing that Celtic players refuse to do. <laughs> you know, you you know, it's recognised that, wait a minute, the team with the throw-ins actually at a disadvantage here. All you've got to do is mark up. And Celtic just, you know, refuse to take that advantage. I know. Which, which is terrible. I agree with Brown. Listen, I might give him a last 20 minutes in his final day. I don't know. But yeah, it's sorrowing. You know, I wouldn't play John Joe Kenny. What, what, what's the point? I played Kenny. None. You know, if Ralston's here for another season, put him in. At least Tony tries. You, you, you know, at least he's ours. Leo Connor's not going to be back before the end of May, I would have thought. But, you know, who, who was on the bench? Montgomery. You, you know, you've got to look over what players do we have here that we could be given four games experience to. That we can, we can see what we've got, at least get some kind of test in them at this level of football. Kenny goes, Diego goes, Brown's off, Eddie's gone. No point in playing them. 
You know, the, other, the other one I was going to mention, but again, I didn't want to get on the Colin Watt bus. It was probably Ryan Christie because if he's checked out, then give someone game time. But again, it will be interesting uh, tomorrow night, Natasha, to see if Kennedy is a wee bit more inventive uh, with his team selection because he has played it safe. And let's not forget that I praised them when we were beating Team Six nothing once. Um, but you know, one thing JP said at the weekend, and and I think he was right, is that uh, that result there on Sunday definitely uh, will prevent anyone from having that wee inkling in their mind. Oh, maybe John Kennedy is the answer. And Richard Balfour comes in to say, has the special one turned up at Celtic yet? Now, by the special one, I'm not sure if you mean uh, Mourinho or Eddie Howe, who might be Celtic's special one. But the Mourinho thing, the reason I brought this up, Natasha, the Mourinho thing is interesting because it just shows you, and I don't know if it was connected to the Super League um, announcement, but it shows you the merry-go-round that is English mm-hmm. football when it comes to management. My biggest fear here, and obviously Tim Sherwood was pushing for it on the TV the other night, if we want Eddie Howe, there are going to be other suitors and some of the other suitors might yep. give him something we can in terms of a budget. Uh, mm-hmm. That concerns me. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, I don't think Spurs will be interested in Eddie Howe. I've got to say, I don't think that's his entry level back into English football. But it concerns me when more and more jobs become available when it comes to Eddie Howe. Yeah, I don't I don't think Howe will be in the frame for the, the Spurs job. But what does concern me, like you've mentioned, is the merry-go-round. Spurs have blanked first. Other clubs around about them who are thinking about blinking are now going to start doing the same thing. For me, I, I'm more concerned about the knock-on effect. For example, what if Spurs decide they want Brendan Rodgers? They go and get Brendan Rodgers from, from Leicester. Do Leicester then start to become more of an Eddie Howe type club? Pro- probably. Yeah. Or do Leicester then look to someone like Southampton's manager? Does Southampton then become an Eddie Howe club? It moves. One mm. it just takes one club to start this and things start to move. And what are we doing except sitting on our hands waiting for this all to happen? Lennon was sacked eight weeks ago. What what progress have we made other than waiting for other clubs to start moving before we start making our moves? So we're in real danger of getting left behind here if a few of these jobs in England start opening up. Um, and that's what concerns me. And it does concern me that how is sitting back, watching this with interest, waiting for a little bit of fallout, waiting waiting for a bit more movement before making his decision on Celtic. Um, And like you said, there are clubs down there that can probably offer him more than we can in terms of finances. And it just depends where Eddie's ambition and drive is and what's more important to him. But then we get left behind if we just sit and wait and see. I hope there's Mm. backup options because... The more jobs that become available, the less likely I think it is that Eddie will come here. This is the concern. Now, Sean Maloney, who I think speaks very, very well, has come out and said that, you know, the planning should be now for next season. It should already be in place. So he realises it just like we do. Celtic fans realise that the changes have to be made. I mean, Roy Keane apparently has intimated to people close to him that he feels the opportunity of the Celtic managerial position is gone. So has someone been given assurances? Is this now just a process that we need to watch unfold? Let's hope it is. Um, I mean, you've got Dominic Mackay and Peter Lowell both in at Celtic. Yeah. Park as we speak um, two massive, massively influential figures and you hope that between them and everyone else who's in there who may or may not uh, actually be that influential are able to get the deal over the line now, mm-hmm. Jamie Murphy picks up on the point I was making the other day and you're right now that you say it Jamie, it definitely was Daisy White that said that live TV would kill football, there was a massive article in the Celtic View uh, talking about games uh, being screened live more and more often and the fact that it would kill football. Now, when he said that, he was called, you know, a backward thinker and all of these things, as you can imagine back in the day. But I think that's coming home to roost. Now, there is always going to be a situation where some clubs will be viewed as being more entertaining than others. Scottish football, I think, on the great scale of things, is kind of viewed as a football backwater now, which in many ways is unfair. 
But what's happened is the business model of Scottish football, a massive part of the, you know, if you look at the percentage of income, um, it's actually based on people coming through the turnstiles. And that's why there's been such an issue with regards to this, this lockdown and fans not being in the stadium. But surely we, uh, as, a, as a game, not just as a club, should be looking at how we can further maximise the, the revenue streams if these clubs were to, to break away. Now, there's been various ways in the past um, spoken about, Lawrence, and the big one that, you know, when you look back to Alan McDonald's time at Celtic, talking about a transatlantic league with promotion and, and relegation, that's one thing. But surely if Celtic have this worldwide fan base that the Super League clubs think they have... And we have the Irish diaspora all over the world who support Celtic or their best Scottish team or favourite Scottish team is Celtic. We don't tap into that enough. So if we're talking about engagement, Lawrence, we don't engage with our fans in Ireland. We don't engage with our fans in Australia or in America. Isn't it about time Celtic got a wake-up call here in relation to engaging with these fans so that if there is a product to sell overseas, we are able to do it to a much wider fan base? I think we need to find a, a way of selling to direct. I mean, I, I remember early 90s, going back to Clonus, and you started seeing Liverpool and Man United posters up in pubs and Clonus. It was always Celtic before that, but in came Sky. All of a sudden, they could watch every game. They started following these clubs. How do Celtic sell, sell direct? I think the brave thing would have been your own TV. That's what the route they should have been down. I know if they had their own TV, I would take it, and I would cancel Sky... Premier and BT, mm-hmm. all three just so I can watch Celtic. I don't watch the EPL. You know the games I watch involve Celtic. That's just the way it is. That's that's what I want to see. You know, and when Celtic TV covered the reserves, I'd watch the reserves or I'd go to the games. But you know, I watch Celtic women the, the, the other week. I don't want to watch Man United play them. I don't want to watch Liverpool play them. That isn't Celtic. And I think most Celtic fans are like that. And I, th- I think. It is go down the, the route of your own TV that you can deliver direct to your fans. Listen, and if, if this is COVID has proven anything, the delivery model's there worldwide. But, you know, we're all been in Zoom calls, Meet, Skype, God knows what, StreamYard. There's loads of delivery channels that you can get out to the masses. Uh, and I think Celtic just kind of need to grasp the nettle and, and pick one and go with it. Well, if you look at that, uh, Natasha, I'll come to yourself because obviously you have joined Axom this year and from that other media opportunities have arisen. And the reason for that is because of what Lawrence just said there. If you're able to to pull together a professional team, which I think we've got at Axom, there is the ability to put them on a platform. The technology exists. So, for example, over the weekend, you look at the Celtic content on Celtic FC's official chat channel and you look at the viewing figures, compare it to Axom because we got five times more than Celtic Football Club did for Axom-related content. And we've only got 7% of their subscribers on YouTube. It's it's because this is real. You know, this is real fans talking about real issues and representing amongst all of us such a a wide variety of the fan base and a wide variety of opinions. And any Celtic fan tuning into this can find something that they relate to, something that they agree with, something they disagree with. Fine, let's have that debate. You know, you look at what Celtic are putting out and I know they have much more limitations than we do because we can speak openly. But, you know, the club propaganda is not what the fans want at the moment. The fans want some honesty, which we provide on here. You know, some real dissection of the game, which we provide on here. Celtic don't provide that. And maybe one thing for Dominic Mackay to come in and do is address the fact that the fans don't think the club are transparent, open, honest, engaging, Maybe he needs to look at the club's media output and their engagement and change that so they can start having the fans. I'm not trying to get anyone away from our channels, but so that the fans do feel more engaged with the club Mm -hmm. Um, because they will look elsewhere. They will find different platforms like they have been doing this season. You're right. And you know that engagement is a much smaller scale to what we're talking about, the disengagement between the clubs down south who have announced they're going to be part of this breakaway and the fans and the reaction of the fans, Natasha. I think universally the fans aren't accepting this. You've seen the banners outside Anfield this morning. And when you look at that disengagement, this is a much smaller version of that. This is all about never forget 
um, about the what we are called legacy fans. I'll never be called a legacy fan. Uh, never forget about your supporters. Never forget about those people who were genuinely born into the club as part of generations of Celtic supporters whose entire life or part of their, their day-to-day life is dedicated to supporting this club. You know, just for these channel hoppers that uh, might tune in somewhere on the globe, uh, that might, you know, pay-per-view a couple of times a week, but, you know, because there's so many more of them, they're more important than the people Mm -hmm. who spend a huge amount of their own income to go to the games. Um, So I think you're right. That engagement, that lack of engagement that we've seen this season is a small kind of a small version, a small example of what we're seeing on a much wider scale now down south. A couple of points on the managerial situation. Jungle Lion, welcome to the show. Um, Rogers for Spurs, how for Leicester? Exactly what you were you were saying. That's the kind of thing that is going to happen if we're not quick on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the concern. That's what I highlighted. This merry-go-round that happens. Everyone's switching managers about and we're standing watching the merry-go-round as everyone else is on it. Exactly. Now, the other point from James Quinn uh, famous name there, Lawrence, uh, Jimmy Quinn. How can double his wages in English football? Absolutely. Uh, probably even treble them. But I think that um, Brennan Rogers has spoken about that moment where the move to Celtic was right for him and it was right for the club. And I think that some managers, if they want to do what Brennan Rogers is currently doing or has done since he's gone to Leicester, they need to find an entry level into that league. And I think that the thing with Eddie Howe is, yeah, you know, if... You know, the Crystal Palace job became available and he was offered it or the Newcastle job or any other club from the bottom half of that table. If Eddie Howe is to go there, then it's going to be very difficult for him to turn that club into where Leicester are just now. So I think his entry level at this moment in time, his stock, if you like, isn't where Brennan Rodgers is. But to get there, coming to Celtic might be a good way, a good pathway. Now that's on the one hand, Lawrence. On this podcast, we've spoken about the fact that we have always been that platform. Well, for the last 10 years, let's say, we've been that platform for players to come for three years and move on to either the English game or elsewhere. And we've worked that that platform very well for Celtic. We've used the players as much as they've used us. And we've used the players financially because we've made good profit on them. Are we in a situation where we're really having to, um, you know, cut our nose off here in relation to uh, the situation? Or do we bite the bullet and say, no, we're going to have to be used here with a, with someone like Eddie Howe, in the knowledge that about three years down the line, he might want to move on to someone down south? Well, so Gordon Strachan said it's, you know, you've got three years as a manager at a club like Celtic. Some might, you know, stay longer. I suppose it's it's different for different people. Look how long Lustig was here. Look how long Larson was here. Some some players will feel the trust here, will feel more loved here, and they'll want to stay longer. If House plans three years, well, that gives you enough time to get a contingency in place, doesn't it? You, you would think. If, he, if he's going to be the man, for me, it's dragging on a bit, unless this is news management. I would be tempted to be going elsewhere. You've got guys like Roy Keane, obviously. I know Russell drives his bus, but I thought it was Roy Keane. I'd be pulling out and going, listen, he's having a laugh now. You know, that boy clearly doesn't fancy joining you. You're hanging out for him and you think I'm going to be second best. Mm. So, you know, that's the danger we're going to run with other candidates for this role. It needs to be done quicker than we're doing it. And, if you know, I think... A lot of us expected some kind of announcement this week that maybe they're trying to get the Glasgow Derby out, out of the way, get Dominic Mackay in and let him make the announcement. If it doesn't come this week, what are we going to, when are we going to wait for? When's it going to come? And it, listen, Eddie Howe's maybe thinking, that Super League's a big game changer. I wonder what's going to happen there. How's that going to affect football? I'm not on the list to, to, to leave my family down south and come up to, to Glasgow not knowing what's going to happen across Europe, you know, as well as in England. There might be other opportunities for him, but, it's, you know, time kills deals and it's just it's just taking too long, I think. It is, and let's hope that that's because we just don't know that there has been progress made. I mean, Maravchik reckons we should put a tenor on Lucien Favre, who we've spoken about, and there's been another couple of names. I've also threw out there that Perhaps we're talking to someone whose name's not even been mentioned. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't put that past what's happening at Celtic at this moment in time. Um, now, 
This week, again, if there are any breaking uh, news stories, we will be covering them on the Axon Bulletin. We're here at 12.30 every single day. You can catch us live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. We're slowly building our following. As I say, we're going toe-to-toe with some of the big boys on the YouTube channel. Uh, and that's all down to everybody tuning in. So thank you for getting involved. Thanks for all your comments. And once again, thank you to Natasha and Lawrence for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.